Welcome back, ladies and germs, to the One Deeper Podcast. This week, I have Dr. Jeffrey Evans. We talk about computers, where they came from, how they work, why we need them, all the good stuff. So if you're interested in figuring out the nitty-gritties of why computers do the things they do and why we use them so much, stick around. I hope you learned something. It's always a pleasure to talk to, talk to Dr. Evans. And uh, so please enjoy this conversation. All right, cool. So basically, this is like the idea I had was this, right? So we have we had a really nice a cognitive neuroscience course, right? Uh-huh. Which had a big uh, biology component, you know, about how how intel how cognition and intelligence works in humans, right? And I was like thinking, we need like, okay, so we thought we learned about the sub the substrate that bi- the biological intelligence that we are working on has. Uh, but I wanted to like just do like a real you know as as you know as as much as we can we can do on a you know conversation but like something from like basically the questions i asked you right you know like memory processing uh mm-hmm. and the like so like you know why things get weird when you go much smaller than a certain distance you know like uh, like why you can't make electronics smaller after a certain point because of you know electronic the the electron stuff such and such okay it's up to you honestly because I, i have no idea what i'm talking about like i mean i have some idea but what do you think would be a nice place to start like from the lowest level and then work up cuz like i'm i'm thinking like transistors and how they work and then memory and the communication between the memory and the processor and what is actually happening i don't know i i just have a bunch of questions i'm not i haven't really you know uh, well and you know you're i'm looking at at the email that um that that you wrote me about this particular podcast and yeah you know you the the first sentence you know talks a little bit about about history yeah that'd be nice uh, what computers used to be and what they are today yeah and then you get into like what is a cpu what is memory what is data how is it re- represented yeah um you know some conditions um cache that kind of stuff and then you talk and then you ask the question what is a gpu how is it different from a cpu yeah um you know how does a cpu interact with memory what is quantum computing so so <clears throat> you're kind of going uh in sort of a historical order yeah um look and looking forward right so you kind of we look back and then we look to kind of what is now and and then you know you mentioned quantum computing um and and so you know we can we can touch on a lot of those things um you know if if Okay. If it makes sense maybe we talk a little bit about history because a lot of this stuff with you know the fact that transistors have gotten smaller and all that kind of stuff 
um, kind of doesn't happen without um, some kind of need for it to happen. In other words, mm -hmm. why do we why do we need these things to get smaller and and all of that kind of stuff? What's what's wrong with what was wrong with the uh, the Intel eighty eighty, which was around in the late nineteen seventies? Right. Um, why aren't we still using those you know those things? Um, so, you, you know, we can talk a lot of, a little bit about a lot of that stuff because fundamentally, I mean, the basics of a CPU really haven't changed all that much. Right. Um, the notion of a GPU came about because the technology for displays, what we saw on a screen changed. Um, computers went from being things that were, um, that primarily displayed text, um, to things that primarily started to display graphics. Yeah, and so uh, technology changed to the point where, gee, we needed more horsepower to keep up with the fact that you had a lot more pixels on the screen. And we started moving those pixels faster, right? You know, games, that kind of stuff. Um, we turned computers into television sets, basically. Um, so there's a lot of reasons why things kind of evolved. Um, so we can. How would you like to? You know. How would you like to begin? Because I mean, I yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I experienced this almost from the beginning. It wasn't from the actual beginning of computers. From I'm not old enough to be around in the 1940s and 50s, early right. 50s, when when um, the first large machines were, were constructed. But I was there when the first PCs came about. You, right. you know, and those were with very, very, what would be considered, you know, ancient, slow, whatever, microprocessors with no graphic, no, there was no such thing as a GPU, right? Um, and in fact, there was no need for things like memory hierarchies with cache and ver various cache levels and that kind of stuff. I mean, right. you, you know, so... Um, I mean, in, in that day, again, displays were text-based, so they didn't have to get refreshed very, very often. Mm -hmm. Um, compute, you know, the, the microprocessor was an eight bit machine, um, that, and, and I had, I, I thought about this a lot when you asked me about what is a CPU, um, the first class that I took about microprocessors was, I don't know, in 1981-ish. Um, and the instructor, the, the professor, he's a brilliant guy. Um, he, um, he basically said, CPU is nothing but a state machine. Hmm. And now it's 45 years later, and I went back and thought about this and went, 
wow, you're right. It's nothing but a state machine, right? You right. give it some input. The transistors are constructed in such a way, the gates and all that kind of stuff, to take that information and then transform it into some kind of an output. It's a state machine, and it's working with ones and zeros. Right, right, right. So, actually, so, so wait. So, this is interesting, right? So, like, this, like, so, one of the one of the big one of the one of the things I've learned, what I realized is, when it, uh, the represent like representation to a like rep, how you represent the thing you're trying to work with is super important, right? Like, like if you're trying to process an image what is the appropriate representation of that image for your problem, right? Mm -hmm. And I was just thinking like, okay, anything you put on a computer is just, uh, is just like, so for example, an image on a screen, when you look at it, is a pixel map of intensities, right? Fair enough, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but then on the hardware, on the memory, it's just a collection of on-off, states of the physical machine right right so but working with that representation might not be useful because it doesn't actually hold something i find that unbelievable and like it's 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 crazy because like on the memory at the memory hardware level it's atoms and bits right or whatever i say atoms mm -hmm. like electrons whatever it is right mm -hmm. But at that level, it has absolutely no representation of the spatial and the color and the actual image that we care about. Correct. Right. It's a, it's a, it's a, it is a complete human generated mapping yep. from those ones and zeros to something that your eye perceives. Right. When you're, when we're talking about graphics, for yeah, example. Yeah. And, and the best example right now today is are the things like the last two big space telescopes, Hubble and Webb, mm -hmm. right? They are looking at infrared energy. So we can't see that. Right, right, right. So the images that we see, the scientists have taken all of that data, right, which is infrared right. you know, energy, which is then mapped right, into right, right. some kind of data, and then they transform it into something that we as humans can then look at and go, oh, wow, that is just, that's amazing, right? right? Yeah. So presumably there's enough, re I don't claim to be an expert or any, any I'm not even a novice, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> naive, right? Um, there must be some, um, research that has been done so such that certain wavelengths in the infrared spectrum can transform into other wavelengths in the visible light spectrum mm -hmm. that makes sense. Right. Right. That so whatever it is in infrared ends up looking like blue or green or or whatever. Right. You know, to to, to the human eye. So that transformation has to happen from the raw data that's coming from the telescope. So right. your point is what is perfectly well formed, right? I mean, the, this stuff starts off as, you know, and again, back, I'll go, I'll date myself, go back into the old days, right? We created things like um, 
you know, the, the, the ASCII table. So eight mm -hmm. bits of information represented a capital letter A, a capital right, letter right. B, a small letter. And then we got, it grew to where now we have other languages represented by those same keystrokes, right? right? So <clears throat> you can have, um, yeah, you know, in, in various, you know, countries, a keyboard might look a little bit different, right? With the, 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 the graphic that is on, on, a, on a particular key, but that data representation in the right organization, you can construct sentences and you can do all that kind of stuff, right? Okay. So there's this constant mapping of bits of ones and zeros, which are organized in memory, um, which are operated on by the CPU, okay, to then come, you know, be, be output into various forms that we basically can understand, whether it's written language, um, graphical representation, audio comes into the same, you know, you know, comes into the same genre. In other words, there's rule sets for what makes up how digital audio is put on, is represented by data or put on media right. in order to either stream it or put it on CDs or, or what have you, right? right, right. <clears throat> yeah, so like, okay. Uh, so figuring out what level of that representation stack you should work with, like, it's like it's like the more you look, the more you know, the more you're like, Jesus, man! Like, <laughs> where is the information really? Like, where does it actually exist? Right? Like, uh, obviously, when we see something and when we, we perceive audio, we hear hear music. We like it's it's sent through the bottleneck of our input uh, channels, right? The vision, sound, whatever it is, we have like we we limit. So one of the one of the most amazing things I've ever, I've ever read was. Uh, uh, was Aldous Huxley's description of a mescaline trip, right? uh -huh. and he describes it. Uh, he describes the physical senses of the human body as a reducing valve, which basically eliminates almost all information and just retains the things that we absolutely need to exist and survive. Right, so we don't see reality as what it is, but just what we need to exist. Right. Yeah. So, so like. Uh, so that, so that, so 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 because I took this computer vision class, which completely rocked my world, and uh, <laughs> and uh, I was just like, I, I like you know after the like two, like thirteen weeks of that course, and I was like I was doubting what like I was, I, I couldn't even trust my own senses anymore because I was like, what is the world really, you know? But anyway, we're getting into getting getting in the weeds, right? Weeds. No, but that's a, those are good questions, yeah. right? Because all of this starts somewhere right right i mean at you know we we represent pixels you know a pixel element on a screen by its color its intensity mm -hmm. you know uh, you know all that kind of stuff and and again like in the old days well that was like a it was like an 8-bit representation well now that thing is has expanded you know, 24, 32, whatever, whatever it is today. Right. And now you're working with 4k. Now we're going to 8k, yeah, yeah. you know, so 
just just do the math. Right, right, right. And and the you know frame rates used to be twenty four frames per second, which your eye basically has a tough time keeping up with. Mm-hmm. And now with games and all that kind of stuff, we're now at eight K, one hundred and twenty frames per second. Yeah, yeah. The math to make that happen. Yeah. Right. It's a lot of data that has to get sent to the to the screen yeah. really really quickly so and, the, like uh, like i used to think i was like man spending all this money on tvs was a waste of like you know like cuz people pe- pe- people like buying new tvs right but now i'm like then how do they like i go to the store i'm like staring at like these insane screens and i'm thinking like just like learning think about all the stuff that i learned i'm like how is this happening? This is preposterous. The fact that you can right. build this thing, right? It's insane. Right. So you'll get to a point if you haven't already. Yeah. Right. Um, where, and I used to be in the telecommunications business, mm-hmm. right? So I understand how internets work. Right. I understand um, from the basic signal levels on a fiber optic cable all the way till now you and I can have this conversation and it's live video from halfway across the planet. Yeah. Okay. And I am still amazed to this day that any of it actually works. I know it's insane. Like, so, because so, so, so this summer I was, I was a software engineering intern. Right. And like the product Super straight, like you know, as from the customer's point of view, super straightforward. It lets you do uh, send surveys out, get information, collect information, like yeah. uh, like build the data, everything, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, huh, pretty cool, right? And then <laughs> I joined the engineering team, and I was just like, the entire like the the, the, the entire time I was mostly just like this, like what? Because the the number of internal parts that have to work to make this all like so it's like it's like it's like i mean i mean this is simple to say but like it's like when you're a customer especially of these high-tech things you see the iceberg right like you see netflix playing this you you see the top of the iceberg you see the netflix video playing perfectly like you know like it's totally cool but then you once you start to like look behind the curtain and look at the architecture and the and the and the services behind it, and you're like, Jesus, man, how does any of this ever work at all? Like, it makes no sense because right. the default setting of the world is for things to not work, right? <laughs> but that's the default. Like, the default state is like just atoms everywhere, and like it's not in any meaningful configuration, and it's just a mess. Like, nothing works. Everything's mm-hmm. cold, and like. So I'm, I'm I'm reading this book uh, by this physicist right now. It's amazing. So like like because for example like the universe, if you think of like space, you tend like the the, the average person usually thinks of space like full of stars, you know like sun like you know bright, but that's not what space is. Most of space is cold. It's empty, <laughs> right? It's yeah. and it's black. Like if you go to like the average position in space. You don't see any stars because they're so far away. A star could explode, could, could supernova, and you still wouldn't see it because it's so far away. And it's like four degrees Kelvin, right? Right. And there's oh, this oh, it's it's absurd. And then you come to planet Earth, and we have this insane concentration of things that work. 
doing things that in some structured manner all put together by people who are like you know what this sucks let's fix it <laughs> right? and go even further um take humans out of the equation yeah look at what you know look at what insects and other animals oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. look at what they can do yeah it's insane you know i mean their worlds operate just fine yeah yeah and they they have their own technology yeah yeah right yeah. whatever whatever that is like um, ant, ants are an amazing example of this like ant farm like have you seen those like ant and things on the ground yeah. they're insane i have like yes. preposterous okay yes. okay so look okay we've got got okay look so one interesting thing i realized also is like in terms of computers yep so for example gradient descent right probably the, like the black it's like it's an algorithm that's like the backbone of um, I don't I don't know if you know about this, but like it's the backbone of most learning algorithms, right? It's the mechanism by which you uh, update the <laughs> the parameters of your neural network, let's say, based on the examples it sees, right? So mm-hmm. you give it an example, then you take a bunch of a bunch of derivatives and you update the date, update the parameters with respect to the loss, uh, the cost, the mistakes that were made by the network, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that was invented in the 1800s, like <laughs> like 1857 or something. The, 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 the idea of doing a gradient descent, right? Right. But we couldn't do anything with it until, Correct. like, what? I don't know, uh, 20, 30 years ago, when you could finally build neural networks that could actually handle and work fast enough or work with enough data, Right. Right, and and even those that you know from twenty thirty years ago were pretty primitive. Yeah, 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 yeah. And 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 slow, right? And you know, you know, kind of kind of cumbersome, you know, that that kind of thing. So, you know, all of this continues to evolve, and and as it does, um, hopefully, new knowledge, whether it's in our in fields of artificial intelligence or machine learning or what have you, you know, kind of come to pass. And, you know, that's why I think what you're doing is so, uh, is so important, right? Because you're trying to make sense out of not only all of this, you know, computational, you know, capability, but also, you know, the, the human element. Right, the, the the human cognition element, the 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 ethical elements, the yeah. moral elements. You know what what makes this stuff um, just because you can do certain things is yeah. it the right thing to do? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and um, you know, again, sadly, because you know we developed the, these computer things. Um, you know, there's there are elements that will misuse or abuse technologies um you know for you know for purposes that um aren't that beneficial to, to humankind you know like the, so like like uh, one of my one of my motivating one of my motivating drivers to like to get to, to to understand this stuff and to learn this stuff is so that when it when it comes down to it like <clears throat> i want to be good enough that someone can ask me to do something terrible and for me to be able to say no i don't i'm not gonna do that right it's well, like right if so, so someone's like hey i want you to build this thing that's gonna do like i don't know uh this awful thing like 
I want to be competent enough for so that that they come to me and then I get to say, you know what? No, I, I don't want to be involved in this. That's not something I want to do. Well, right. I mean, think about the. I mean, you know the the Oppenheimers and the Fermis of the world knew pretty well mm-hmm. what they were doing when they were doing it. Right. And they understood what the ramifications could be, you, you know, but <clears throat> again, now we're on the brink of fusion, mm. which is, it'll be, a, it'll be tremendous if we can harness that. It, it will be absolutely tremendous. Yeah, would know, like, you, you know, would like solve, I mean, energy is like... A lot of that, yes. Yeah, it's, a it's lot a, of that will be, you know, it, it'll, it, it'll be, frankly, pretty much solved. You know, you know, which is insane, tra- right? Like that's that, like that's like. So, uh, I mean, so, so like uh, p- part of the reason I think it's important to. So a lot of people are terrified about a general intelligence, right? Like AGI or whatever, right? Sure. But like I like, and you know, <clears throat> some of my professors like they don't want to even talk about this because like not because like they think it's bad. But because it's like they think it's so far-fetched because i get it right because as i'm learning about these ai tools that i'm using right now they're really isolated domain specific like very narrow things and it's hard to see how you go from this to something of sort of a general intelligent thing right right but like my my thinking is okay so i'm probably i'm probably the kind of person who who's like who's you know who I understand the reservation. Let's say let's say it's possible, right? Let's let's say it's possible. My thinking is like we sort of like what if like do you want to wait or like, do you want to wait around for the luck of the draw for like for the for next Einstein or the next uh, next like fill in the blank, right? right. Turing or uh, anyone like we we need a mechanism to build scalable intelligent things to solve even so to solve problems that we don't know we have right like we might need a fourth generation agi to to like find hacks into physics right to be like you know what you guys are limited by the way you see the world so but from this perspective you can actually break physics in these weird ways and it does these things like it's I mean, that, that's like sci-fi weirdness in my head but like i think there's a good reason to want to build an intelligence like that, intelligence like that, right? Because there are problems that we desperately need to solve, like cancer, or like, or even like very simple things, but like energy, for for example, you know, how mm-hmm. to uh, do these things like scalably, not just like make them do the scientific breakthroughs, but to make them production level scalable technologies. That, by the way, is probably the hardest thing. Like I learned that, like doing something in the lab is not the same thing as putting it in the world because it has to work reliably it has to work safely and it has to like do what it says it's going to do and then when it's not doing it you have to know why it's not doing it right like, right that's like that's those three things asked like and that is what makes easy. software development to this day right yeah it's, it's yeah. sort of a backward um 
it's sort of a backward field, mm -hmm. you know, because <clears throat> again, we end up with corner cases that are either, well, we end up with corner cases that become very difficult to test and very difficult to recreate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, for you know? sure. So, so <clears throat> whereas with a lot of things, um, you know, I'll, I'll just use the hardware, uh, you know, domain, because I, I was a hardware designer for, you know, for a long time, there was, you could play statistical games because like you say, you know, things need to work reliably. You know, if I'm selling, you know, 50 million smoke alarms over the course of, of four or five years, um, false positives can be tolerable, but false negatives kill people. Right, right. Yeah, for sure. Right. So, exactly. so, you know, something silly like a little resistor or a capacitor or something like that, you know, I mean, you're talking about millions and millions and millions and millions of these things working correctly all the time. Okay, seems straightforward, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but it sometimes it's not. So, and because you get into you know it's kind of the definition of engineering. It's trying to solve a problem, right, in a reliable yet economical way. So now you've put two constraints that sort of are in conflict. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, um, you know, we used to have the old saying, right? Do you want it done? You want it done right? You want it done quick? Um, what was the third one? Oh, or, or you want it done cheap? Mm. Right? Pick two of the three. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's very, very difficult to get all three. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so that's the dilemma, whether and, and it's you know, computers, hardware, software, um, you know, the interactions, we've made software almost to the point where between libraries and new language paradigms and things like that, you don't have to understand that much mm -hmm. about what the hardware is doing. You don't even have to be a software engineer per se and you can make stuff that works on computers, yeah, right? Yeah. Therein lies the problem that you just said, right? When something goes wrong, you need to be able to, if you don't understand why immediately, you need to have the tools to get you to the why, yeah. you know, and that that's a critical thinking, problem solving, coupled with the training in software engineering or software development, you know, that kind of stuff that get you there um, so that you can be pretty good at it and put out products that are safe and, and are recoverable, right? So, um, yeah, you know, un unfortunately, we've gone through this thing with, uh, with airbags over the last couple of decades in cars, right? There's millions of these things out there, and all of a sudden, whoops! There's a pro there. There might be a problem where a sizable number of these things can fail. You know, you know, and a false positive 
can be dangerous. Yeah. 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 You know, so, um, <clears throat> you, you know, all these things, um, you know, by and large, they work. But then when they don't, we, you know, we sort of get kind of all up in arms, you know, yet we'll get, we'll get on an airplane where we know that if that airplane goes down, the results are really bad. I don't yeah. like, honestly, if, if I had worked on the stuff you work, had worked on, like smoke, smoke alarms, I don't know how I would have slept at night. Like, um, yeah, I mean, there was, there were times, well, every October. Yeah. Okay. And this, to this day, October in the United States is fire prevention month. Okay. So <clears throat> there's this big, you hear about it on the news and things like that, replace batteries in your smoke alarms, you know, replace your carbon monoxide detectors, you know, those kinds of things. Well, I designed both of those kinds of products, mm -hmm. right? So when I see body bags on the news come out of a house, you know, because of it was either a fire or there was a furnace that broke or something, you know, and a family of 10, you know, doesn't survive, you know, the first question, the first thing that goes through my mind is, were, were there smoke alarms? Was there, was there a carbon monoxide alarm in there? And was it receiving power when the incident happened, right? Um, to this day, I think about that stuff, yeah, you know, because again, false positives can be tolerable, but false negatives are really bad. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, those are, yeah, you know, it's a, and, and at the time, um, we were designing these things so they could be, I don't know, 10, $15. Mm. This is the thing you're supposed to save your life. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and yet, you know, people didn't want to spend, you know, 50, 60, $70, you know, for, for, for something like that intended to save your life because <clears throat> it's a rare event, you know, fires yeah, but, are rare. Events yeah. But and, rare, rare events have, uh, have outsized consequences. Yes. So, you know, and, and now, you know, we're, you know, to keep the topic, you know, with, with computers, I mean, at the time that the internet first began, you know, Berners-Lee and those guys, they had no idea that this, all of a sudden, you know, that this was going to be used for commerce mm -hmm. in the way that it's used for commerce today. Yeah, you know, it wasn't on that wasn't in their thinking. Yeah. Right. Like, so scientists, you don't even you don't think about security. Yeah, scientists don't think like they're just driven by hey, this is how does this thing work? <laughs> like <laughs> they, all they wanted to do was send email back and forth yeah, to yeah. national labs, yeah, right? These yeah. are physicists trying to communicate with each other. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and, and so, you know, in the, in the beginning, it was just, oh, well, we can do this and we can do this network of different places around the, around the world. And we can actually make this happen. How cool is that? Yeah. Really neat. Right. And yeah. again, the computer technology, it was all text-based. There was no graphics involved. Right. So <clears throat> it didn't need a lot of computational horsepower. It didn't need um fiber optic communication networks to get information from point a to point b mm -hmm. you know in fact if we could do um 
I remember my first job at, at Bell Telephone Laboratories, right? I had a, a, a 9,600 baud modem and everybody thought I was on cloud nine. <laughs> 9,600 baud, think about that. 9,600 yeah. bits per second. Yeah. Moving across a, 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 you know, some, some telecom line. Um, and that was high end. Yeah. That was like, man, that's like amazing. That's crazy. So <laughs> it was, it was, you know, and, and in just a few short decades, we're at a gigabit per second coming to my house. Yeah. And not even for like industrial stuff, just like casual stuff, just to watch, just to watch 4K Netflix, right? Like it's fine. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So you have to ask yourself, you know, as we keep going on these frontiers, right? I mean, this the 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 GPU coupled with advances in display technology was enough to offload the CPU so the CPU could work on the game algorithm and the GPU could work on the graphics algorithms to make you know, to make the guns fire and people move and the monsters and all that kind of stuff. Um, and an entire ecosystem, you know, came about. And now we're doing it like you and I could play whatever kind of video game from halfway across the planet yeah. in real time, yeah. which is kind of it's blows crazy. your mind, right? It's, it's, yeah, it's insane. Like, right? So, like, yeah. but... Simultaneously, we can use GPUs to help us solve other problems where basically the algorithm that either converts data or performs simple mathematics, right? Because computers still just do simple mathematics. They, mm -hmm. they, they add subtract multiply oh, that's, divide. That, that's 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 something that's all that, they do that's amazing like that's what makes me like like you know <laughs> I, like that that's what gives me hope into into like thinking man i can learn this stuff like because computers fundamentally aren't doing anything that insane like neural networks Correct. neural networks aren't doing anything that insane like the technology like the engineering is like phenomenal is amazing right right but fundamentally Adds, subtracts, like multiply, but, divide. It's very simple. But from those it's things, very simple stuff. Only they do it fast, yeah. and they and because we've gotten to where the physics allow us to put multiple cores in CPUs, multiple cores in GPUs, things that lend themselves to parallel processing give us now this appearance that things are happening really, 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 really fast. And they are because we're able to parallelize them. You know, again, whereas historically, way back when, the only way you got things to operate in parallel was to have a, a, a desktop computer next to another desktop computer. And I connected them together and figured out ways to make the parallel pieces work on the two computers simultaneously while the stuff that happened had to happen in serial would happen later 
right? right? And we do that today. We do, you know, supercomputers, right? Same kind of thing. <clears throat> well, I mean, like, um, like the human brain, the human brain is a massively parallel, really fast thing, right? But 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 much slower than a machine, though, because because it, it's because yeah. it's still limited to those neurochemical transmissions, which are like which are nowhere as fast as what a, what a, what a, what a, what a uh, correct. Micro- well, it, it doesn't need to be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The 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 our senses only operate so fast. Mm-hmm. So the brain doesn't typically it doesn't have to, you know, operate for example a thousand times faster than it than it already does. Right. I'm not certain. I'm not certain what benefit, if any, that would have, mm-hmm. right? Because your ability to, for example, what, why, why would that be a good thing? Well, maybe I could avoid an accident. Well, but if you still can't get your body, your muscles to do things, right, much faster than they already do, okay, then all of that processing speed doesn't necessarily help you. You just know you're going to die faster. So, so what, 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 yeah, yeah, you know, um, yeah, yeah, you know, so, um, you know, our senses, you know, hearing, sight, touch, um, they operate on, on tens of milliseconds kind of time constants. Right, right, right. Yeah. You know, so processes are that's, like micro, like that's micro, kind of slow. Yeah, that's super yeah. slow. Like that's so slow compared to a modern a modern CPU right. and GPU. It's so it's so right. slow. It's like ancient time. So like one interesting uh, one interesting uh, thing which like idea is that so let's say we do have an AI, right? And, and 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 let's say we have to come up with something like the 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 equivalent of a, of a prison sentence for an AI, right? Like if you give it. Like how would you how do you scale the time because it's built on the like the on the hardware it's built on. It's way faster, right? So like mm-hmm. giving it like a thirty year life a thirty year prison sentence would be like an eternity essentially, right? Yeah. So like anyway, that's that's a strange that'd be a weird question, but like but it, it is important. So I was thinking like okay, if you are because I always put these things in, like in the AI context. Because I I find this in like in, it's insatiable, insatiably satisfying to me. Like to think about like this stuff. But so, um, do you think, like you just said, we have all these human limitations, right? Because 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 uh, of the sub because of the substrate that we are made of. Like we are like we are like the the biological biology and chemistry that limits our existence right right and somehow it's given rise to this intelligence that it's right do you think the fact that computer like ai in the foreseeable future are most likely going to be built on silicon that it's going to be something fundamentally different like is it even possible to create a human like intelligence on a substrate that's so different from the substrate that we work, we are using, a sub, and a substrate that's also running much faster than uh, than than our uh, our hardware, right? So I I don't know. I'm just like like yeah. I <clears throat> I mean I think about um, 
you know, for example, how far the area of, of robotics, yeah. you know, because there's a combination there. There's some AI things going on, you know, and then the fact that the, the robot, the machine is trying to mimic, um, human senses, mm -hmm. right? Sight, hearing, all, all that kind of stuff. Um, it can actually do a better job, right? I mean, we're building cars now that can see out, you know, half a mile away right. that you're, not, you know, you can't even come close to being, you know, being able to process and deal with that kind of stuff. So, okay, fine. <clears throat> and yet, um, it's, it's getting much, much better. It's getting much, much closer. But again, the scalability still isn't there yet for robots that have the same, if not better dexterity, real-time dexterity, you know, than humans do, even though humans are slower. Right, right, right. True, right. true, true, so, true, 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 yeah. So, yeah. You know, the tasks of, of climbing stairs. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's I mean, insane. You know, it, it's humans do it without second thought. Yeah. You know, whereas, you know, the, the robot and things like that oftentimes still looks a bit clumsy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing that. Now, now granted, it's all gotten better and it's, it's getting way, way better, but it's also expensive. Yeah you know, that dexterity comes at a price. Um, so it's, it's going to be, I I'm intrigued by where all of this is going and to what, again, useful purposes, what are the useful purposes for humanity? You know, is it, I, I, I don't know. Like um, studying, studying, studying AI has been, the has been an amazing path to sort of appreciate the the the, the sheer breadth of things you can do as a human being it's unbelievable like yes we take these things so yeah. much so much for granted yes uh, it's un it's it's preposterous like the fact that like 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 you just said like walking up the, walking up a staircase like if you don't even think about that right or like riding a bike riding a bike oh, no no Right. Just like when you're walking in an umbrella and, and it's windy, right? Yes. That, like I was doing it the other day and I was thinking to myself, how on God's green earth would I get a machine to do this? This is, this is, un, this is impossible. Right. 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 It's yes. crazy. And I do it effortlessly. Like it's fine. I, like I don't think about adjust, adjusting it. It's just like I just move it. It's right. unbelievable. Right. Your, your senses... Um, and as you say, and I agree, are fairly slow yeah, yeah. compared to computational power, but you effortlessly sense something happening. You respond to counter that thing to keep the umbrella balanced so it doesn't blow away. Right. And you have just the right amount of you know, muscular pressure that you apply, yeah, you know, keep balance and all that kind of stuff. And again, you're not really thinking about it. Yeah. It's just happening, yeah. you know? So 
yeah, it's just, it's way cool. I mean, it's, think about, it's nuts. you know, your studies and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, this seemingly pretty simple thing that again is pretty effortless. Yeah. I have a, you know? I have an existential crisis at least once a week. Cause I'm like, Jesus, man, <laughs> like how am I supposed to like, like it's, it's like, how is this, how does this even work? You know, like, how do you, like, how do you begin to conceptualize it in a, in a, in a, like in an engineering way? Like, okay, how, how do, I don't even know what parts to start to break this up into, to start working on it. Like, it's like, what are the parts even? I have no idea. Cause like fundamentally you're like, okay, like, you know, like, if it, <laughs> think about it, like, I really appreciate the fact that like, I have an engineering background, right? So like when I, so when I was in like, so we had a, a, an ethics of ethics of AI course and I was the only person with the engineering background in there. And I was just like, I was like, I was, you know, like I was always the person who's like, no, you know what? That doesn't make it like, look, that's a nice idea, but there's no way it's going to work. Right. Like, <laughs> and they're like, yes, okay, fine. Fair enough. But it's just a thought experiment. I'm like, yeah, but like, I'm just saying, I just want it to be, I want to be on record to know as having said, this is not, this make any sense. But uh, right. anyway, I'm skeptical. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, um, um, okay, okay, okay. We got super distracted, but <laughs> great conversation. Okay, I want to ask. Okay, let's let's actually try and answer one of the questions that I asked you. Okay, so a CPU, right? Mm -hmm. It's like if if you were to build a CPU on a breadboard, what would it look like? Like, like if someone said, build me a proof of concept of a CPU, like what are the, it's just, what, what, like, is it, can you describe it? Is it possible to describe, you know, in that way? Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's basically a, a, a large, a, a fairly large conglomeration of, of gates, yeah. um, gates that perform logical functions yeah. and ors, that kind of thing. Um, in concert with other structures that allow data to be kind of stored and operated on. In other words, I can add, subtract, multiply, divide, shift, yeah, yeah. provide logical shifts, right? So, but like fundamentally, um, but fundamentally is just doing a bunch of logical operations, right? Like it's yeah, taking... It's just it's just doing a bunch of logical operations based on some input and a clock. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I just, I, I have this clock and something comes in and then the next clock, something else happens. The next clock, something else happens. You probably remember this from the old computer architecture course. Yeah. yeah we yeah. went through that whole thing about what constitutes an instruction. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So things during the process of, you know, data has to be put somewhere in order to be operated on in order for some output to happen. So now you get into this concept of memory, right? right, right. So where, you know, so, you know, when, you, you know, the fundamental question to ask when an instruction starts, the first question is, where's the data? Right. Where is it? Is it right here inside the CPU so I don't have to do much? Or is it outside the CPU, you know, in, in memory somewhere that I have to go get it and bring it in, operate on it, 
either leave it where it's at or send it back out. So, you okay, know, to, okay. It's a question. So when, when, let's say the CPU is acting on some data, right? Mm -hmm. Data is just, so that, and let's say that data is in, in, in memory, okay? Okay. How is it stored in memory? It's like, what what is the hardware implementation of memory? It's just, as far as I can remember, it's like, it's just capacitors, right? Or like, that, or at least the random access memory. Yeah, I mean, there are capacitive type of elements there. Um, how memory is organized, um, there were primarily two rules of thumb. Um, and it had to do with where the least significant bit was located versus the most significant bit. Right. Yeah. Sometimes they're sometimes they're flipped around. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so as as long as you know that's, you know, it's it, it that's kind of what the rule is. Okay, fine. You know, um, I, I I get the data in and I operate on it. There are some subtle advantages and disadvantages to you know to you know data organized as most significant bit versus least significant bit you know how, how and, the, and that how depends on the architecture of like the hardware itself right like it depends yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so um and, and so you know you have that and and then the notion of um cash right you know we as computers evolved the physics allowed for transistors to get smaller. <clears throat> so what is the transistor? So, first of all, what's the transistor? It's just basically a switch, right? Yes. Okay. It's, it's, it's basically a silicon switch, right? If you, if you play around with the silicon switch, so it's not, so it's operating in, in kind of a linear mode instead of a by uh, instead of a binary mode, mm -hmm. right? You know, binary mode being it's either on conducting current or it's off. It's yeah. not conducting. Current. Yeah. If I operate it somewhere in between, I make things like amplifiers and oscillators and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, they're used for many purposes, but in the in the compute world, it's basically a switch. It's either on or it's off. You yeah. know, and, and so okay, fine. And I put all those things together, and um, you know, we make out of a handful of these transistors, I can make a thing called a gate. So a, like a logical and. So I got two yeah. inputs. If they're both um, if they're both in a given state, I, I, I get another state on, on the output. Yeah. Right. So yeah. and now I and, and I use those as building blocks. Right. And then I make larger configurations of these things. And before you know it, I've got a, a CPU. Right. A so that, so the 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 logical the the logical operations that a CPU carries out are, in a sense, like universal logical operations, right? That's what. Yeah, it's, it's based on Boolean, you know, Boolean logic. Right. Right. The things you can do with, uh, you know, things in two states. Right. Either... So that's why that's why you, we could put a CPU in a Mac in the Mac in this computer and do this do this stuff, or put it in a put it in a robot and do some other stuff because like. The, Correct. The universal the universal logic inside is is built to do certain things like. It, to do certain yep. types of stuff. Yep. Nice. Yep. And it spans everything from computers to 
you know, controlling your the the engine in your car to um, you know uh, little control boards that control a furnace in a house. You know, to you know, you know, you name it. So what um, what enables the utility is that the at how fast it does these things. Yeah, I mean, how fast it does what it does, how expensive it is, right? Yeah, yeah. Right? How much, you know, you know, the, these other peripherals, memory, that kind of stuff. You know, we I started to go into caches. That all came about, kind of as a function of a couple of things, right? One, the hardware of the CPU was getting fast enough relative to the speed at which memory could be accessed mm -hmm. to where the hard the cpu hardware would have to wait in other words that instruction that we've been talking about so where's the data well it's out in memory well now i have to wait for that data to come into the into into my cpu right and that might take several clock ticks so now basically I'm just waiting around for the data to come in before I can even operate on it. Right. So, so that was a, a hardware limitation, but simultaneously we were learning about how software tended to operate. Mm -hmm. And there's this principle of locality and locality of reference which you learned in the computer architecture course. <laughs> Can you remind way me? back when. Yeah, way back when. Right? It's been a while. Uh, right? Yeah. So what we learned there is that in computer programs, oftentimes we will do a few instructions and then we will sit in a loop. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll have this loop for X amount of times, do this thing. Okay. So the same memory locations are being accessed frequently in time, right? So now we could put faster memory up close to the CPU and it would sit there and operate particularly on those loops. And then I wouldn't have to go out to the slower memory until something else happens. Is, is, is it just the cost of time uh, in going out in the, in, to, to, to memory? Primarily, yeah. yeah, it's time. Right. 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 It's, it, was, it was really just time. Um, so now you've got this, you know, these various levels of cash. I mean, believe me, if, if you know, Intel and Apple and the, the computer manufacturers of the world if they did not have to implement cash structures in their computers, they would not do it. It's expensive. Because it costs money. Yeah. It's expensive. The faster the, the, the memory is, the more expensive it gets. Yeah, but like also, it doesn't matter how fast, like, okay, so, like, you can't just, you can't just make a computer with just cash, right? Because just by the sheer fact that you have to, you have to place the hardware in a physical space, the further you are from the processor, regardless of how fast the memory is, it's still going to co cost you, right? Well, I mean, you know, the the pragmatic answer is is no, you wouldn't do that. Yeah. But in theory, you could build, you know, a computer with like level one cache all on the same chip. Mm. It would be horrifically expensive. Yeah. 
yeah. right? But it would be fast. Yeah, but um, yeah, yeah, but but I guess like for the for a, an average person, it makes uh, for any like it doesn't make a difference. Like for like, well, and it would also be a little bit of a waste because of the principle of locality, right? That principle basically says you don't need that much, you know, high, high speed cash because that's not how computer programs work. Right, right, right. They work on so, small bits of pieces of information at a time. Exactly. Right. So they don't need the whole thing. They just need a little bit at a time. And we as the users, as the humans, we get this, uh, we get the perception of a continuous stream of things happening like all Correct. put together but the processor the processor it's only working with tiny little pieces of a of a of a, of a routine at a, at a given time correct nice correct okay correct all right so so and then, yeah. <clears throat> again couple that with again historically so you had memory doing its thing you had display technology and other use cases for computers, i.e. games, um, i.e. from the scientific community, like um, large scale simulations that required mm -hmm. lots of graphic detail, yeah. right? Um, so now we have this thing of, wow, the CPU really can't keep up with the operational logical tasks and the refresh rates and the and the data requirements to put the put the data on the screen. Mm -hmm. So we're going to make this other thing, call it a GPU, right? Um, and you just look at the companies, right? You know, Nvidia didn't exist when Intel was developing its first microprocessors. Right, didn't exist. Yeah. Right. So, uh, you know, it's been this evolution um, in part because of use cases and in part because of technology um, that made these things called that we call GPUs useful. Um, and in, in some cases now actually necessary, some high performance computing systems, depending on what they're doing, they will use GPUs because they're highly parallelizable mm -hmm. um, instead of using CPUs right. for certain functions. So from, for, like, for, at least from like my, from our use cases. Um, and so what I gather, if I have to, if, if someone was to ask me, hey, okay, sorry. So why, what's the, what's the, what's the difference between CPU and GPU? Like, like all I can think of is matrix math. I would not do matrix math on a CPU. I would do it on a GPU, right? Because I can, they say have a have a huge multi-dimensional matrix that I want to do a bunch of transformations on, right? Because because and just the way and how linear algebra is, is structured, it's a highly parallel operation, right? Right, right, and and yet when high performance computing systems were doing massively parallel you know operations that required large matrices to operate on okay they were doing it with cpus and they were and the computer language of choice was fortran mm -hmm. 
and it still is what to a large extent why for right that? uh because it lends itself to doing matrix math oh right okay you know re it, it's really good at that you know from as as a computer language it's, it's just it just really it was it was designed you know in part for that purpose. i've never used it like i've never I've... yeah so it's the kind of thing i've programmed in it briefly when i was back in college by the time i got to the supercomputing stuff that i was doing the supercomputing research i was doing i was doing most of my work in c mm. um so but but today now it, it's because we have this hardware technology we're calling gpus that lends itself towards doing that multi-dimensional matrix math and that kind of thing now it makes sense definitely port it over there mm. you know and make it do its thing right, right um right. you know and it works i mean when i remember this very distinctly i was working at argonne national laboratories outside of chicago um working on my doctorate but i was using their facilities and the pentium 4 processor had just come out i remember those man i was so excited to get i was so excited so excited to get one of those like okay. i oh man yeah it was nuts but the the interesting thing was <clears throat> so that we had this big pentium 3 computational cluster that these physicists were doing high performance computing you know algorithms and, and simulations and stuff on and now we just built another pentium 4 cluster just as big if not a little bit bigger so the first thing these guys do is they take their code they port it over to the pentium 4 mm -hmm. okay the algorithms were actually running slower and the reason they were running slower was intel decided to adjust the cache structure of how of the sizes of the cache levels right 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 through right. Through, through the memory chain yeah right that completely messed up the algorithms they had to go back and redo them because the memory bandwidth was getting compromised right because those structures were different now. so like so the 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 so they wrote it for the they wrote the programs like they wrote the so when they wrote it on the Pentium threes, it was accept is it was acceptably the speed was acceptable, and then they moved it to Pentium four. They were like, "What the hell? Why is it so slow?" And then exactly, yeah, it's because the architecture is different. But uh, because the architecture had changed, right, right, right. and so now you know they had to go back and change the algorithms to to adjust the data structure sizes so that the cache so that memory moving in and out of the processor. Right would be would be better optimized and once they did that yeah things got faster right, right, right. but you can't just arbitrarily take something that has been really tuned right for one particular processor one particular you know you know processor architecture system and then move it oh this is the next greatest thing right we double the clock speed we did all this other stuff you know and all of a sudden boom the well the algorithm's running slower now mm up with that yeah, yeah, yeah. right yeah, yeah. so that is something that um when you get into these highly specialized you know kinds of of algorithms and i again i'm i'm not an ai person 
Um, but it seems to me that over time, this will be a thing. Um, That's interesting, actually. Like, look at that. You'll have to look at that. Yeah, I hadn't, you know? I hadn't thought about that. Like, so for the human intelligence, right? Like our hardware hasn't, it doesn't change very, very often. Right. right? <laughs> like our hardware is pretty fixed. Like, I mean, it's not yep. fixed. Like it takes a long time for it to change. But computer right. hardware changes all the time. So like, let's say you build the intelligence and then you're like, oh, wait, now you have a new new thing and you try to port the intelligence to a new architecture and it just doesn't work anymore. It's like, why? why and you just broke you it. You just broke yep. it. <laughs> Yeah, and it, that has been happening. That has been happening historically. Yeah, you, you know. So, you know, we're very we're getting better at it. Right, right. You know, in working, you know, with the various vendors and things like that. When 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 new new systems come out and, and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, it's very important to have an understanding of, you know, how those structures are kind of put together and why the vendors are doing what they're doing and so you can say okay so this is what we have to tune to go from last year's you know what you know whatever to this year's you know whatever whether it's gpu cpu doesn't doesn't really matter yeah, yeah. um a lot of it comes down to memory bandwidth um you know how fast can i get things in and out yeah of where I want to do the actual operations on the data. Right, right. So this is like, so like one of the things Elon has been talking about with his with his Neuralink thing is he wants to open the bandwidth of the of the input channels because we he because he finds his his uh, argument is that it's very limited, right? Like the 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 we have this we have a very narrow bandwidth connected to this processor, right? But like, but but you know that seems a little bit insane because clearly the processor and then the channels co-evolve together, right? It's not like this thing right. came in and then, and then we plugged in a couple of eyes and a, and a, and a couple of years and the processing capacity is latent in there. It's like it's really right. well tuned. Right. Well, I, I mean, think of it. Think of it this way: you've got <clears throat> you've got two directions you can go. Really, only two. Right, you can either make things faster yeah. by clock speed, yeah. right? So instead of clocking at one gigahertz, I clock at two gigahertz. Yeah. Okay. And or I make the input channels wider. Mm -hmm. So I go from 16 bits to 32 bits, yeah. to 128 bits, yeah. to 256 bits yeah. wide. Right. So now I'm literally doubling, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doubling that capacity for the same clock speed by doubling the width. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. That'll set up a new set of complications, right. For, and we'll, let's pick on graphics because that's near and dear to your heart right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, you know, it used to be, you had an eight bit pixel. Yeah. Where are we at now? are we at 32 24 what's what's the norm uh, i have no idea but like it's so so you know you you we've gone by a factor of three or four yeah, yeah. on the width which can convey a lot more information you know between 
color and color depth and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And then, and then somewhere in there, you've got to know where that pixel is located on the screen. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and now I've got to do it faster because I've got a 120 Hertz refresh rate on a 4k screen. That's a lot of data. Yeah. You know, that's a lot of stuff. Um, but it's pretty constant, right? Once I know that, right, my, my, my GPU, if you will, can be sort of fixed. Right, right, right. I know that it's, you know, from one, from one frame to the next, it's not all of a sudden going to be an 8K thing. Yeah, it's yeah. always going to be, I'm always writing to a 4K screen. Yeah. So that's my limit. Um, yeah, you know, so whereas a lot of the big problems, you know, things where we're simulating things happening on the earth, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, we can continue to granularize them to where um, the scale needed in CPU, sometimes even GPU, um, can grow almost without bound. I mean, think about, for example, that one of the easiest ones is like like weather. Mm. Okay, so <clears throat> let's take a square mile yeah. of land on the planet, right, and make some kind of choice. How far apart are the? Uh, let's let's use the term pixel. Right. I've got a square mile. How many pixels am I going to put on that square mile? Right. And now I'm going to go 40,000 feet vertical mm -hmm. on that square mile yep. and have all of those pixels going straight up. <laughs> and they're all interacting with each other. Yep. Right. I mean, and, you know, you can take it. I don't know how far they, they go, but they probably go, you know, four, five, 10, 100, you know, interactions between these pixels, right? Um, to get to the point where you see the weather pattern happening on your TV screen on the evening news. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Here's where the rain's coming. Okay. Um, so then you start asking the question, how granular do we want that to be? Mm. How granular does it need to be? You know, like, when we study tornadoes. So like at what resolution do you want to process the data? Exactly. Exactly. Um, and then how fast, you know, do we need this real time? You know, you know, the simulation gets cranked out and then, okay, I've got this file that's this model that's predicting the next 12 hours of what's going to happen. And by the way, you can get all this stuff on your iPhone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Think about that for a yeah, second, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. So now granted, all it's really doing is projecting the output of that simulation you know, here's, here's the output that was generated in pixels and this is what it looks like. And it's the good news is, is, is typically it's on a two dimensional screen. Yeah. We're not trying to reproduce all three dimensions. Yeah. So right? like, wait a second, sorry, just a random thought occurred to me. Like, how would you keep a processor cool in a vacuum? 
I don't know why this came up, but I was thinking like, how do you? I was thinking about computers in space for some reason, and I was like, without conduction, like with, with without convection uh, and uh, and air, how do you? How would you keep a computer like cold? Would it just burn up? Well, but what was the temperature that you said space Before was? Kelvin, yeah, yeah. But like, how does? What's the problem? What's the? We're already there, right? So wait, just put it out there. So wait, so it, so like my my like I'm showing my complete ignorance in, uh, of physics right now. But like, wait, hold on, because I was thinking like like if if the heat can't like so. Okay, when a process is working, how why does it generate heat? Uh, current flow. Okay. But so now we've got. We've got things moving. So there, atoms are moving. Right, right, or, right. Okay. You know, subatomic particles are moving. Okay. So that heat that we feel is just is just is electromagnetic radiation, right? Yeah, most likely. So wait, so like no, because I was like, you feel the Grassley Tyson here with no, 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 because I was thinking like, okay, like if if you have a processor in space and it's and it's doing its thing. Right, it's it's yeah. generating like electrons moving around. It's it's still generating heat, right? But where? How does the heat escape? If, it, if there's nothing to conduct the heat away, like air or water? Um, maybe I just don't know. I have no idea what there. Maybe I'm maybe I just don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. But anyway, because like because because uh, I was because I wrote this really silly short story where we know that it's worked historically because we put people on the moon. That's true. Oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> we have satellites. We have satellites in space. Like it's it's clearly we, we, we doable. know that we've done yeah. at least that. Yeah. So the archaic stuff that was done in the '60s and in early '70s, yeah. you know, yeah. we know that that kind of worked, and that was, you know, pretty you know, pretty early compute stuff. In fact, those quote computers were. Probably not microprocessors at all. On the on the on the space shuttle, you mean? No, space shuttle. The shuttle had, I think, it had some microprocessors on it, but it was very late in the shuttle program that they actually went to silicon memory. Oh, okay. They actually had. I don't know if you've ever seen it before, but the first memory was matrices of little toroids that were little rings okay. that were around basically intersections of wire okay okay and then they'd run current through it and it would hold it would hold a state okay. of so, one or zero and and that was the memory uh, it was called core memory in in in, in the space shell you can you can google it and look so it this, up and this, this is a good, good point you came to so memory okay so why what does it mean when my computer says your memory is full, what does that mean? What's happening in there? Um, it basically means that like my RAM, like like example, like for example, like, like when I'm running something on my GPU, or like or thing, it'll be like this memory is full. You can't like it's like get warning signs like this. Yeah, what what that means is you've done a poor job as a software developer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, like, let's, yeah. put that, let's put that. Let's put let's put my crappy right. software engineering skills aside. Right in cleaning up. Yeah. Right. Um, 
memory once your routines are basically no no so because 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 I'm because I was TAing I, I was a TA for data structures and, and algorithms and so yeah. the exam was uh, was a programming exam and many like several students were like freak like their computers was freaking out because they were writing they were writing to they were they were writing to memory to like variables that just kept blowing up because their code is terrible and it was yeah. and it was freaking out about right. it right right and and that's again that's a thing that <clears throat> as we as we started the conversation the computer is a really dumb thing yes, exactly it's very stupid. right if you keep putting you keep filling up you know ram it's going to let you do it until it can't yeah <laughs> right and then eventually the operating system will notice that yeah and go hey um i got nowhere to put this yeah. basically yeah. and and so it is up to the algorithm right i mean that was a huge deal in telecommunication mm. right it was when checking algorithms for not only their function um we always had this we always had this thing we would test for what's called memory leaks okay right a memory? and a memory leak is just that okay. it's where memory is getting consumed to the point where we're out of it and and now you're stuck so what does it mean to consume memory first of all well you're filling it up you're just basically you're you're basically assigning data to 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 locations in memory okay so memory is just yeah, a, is yeah, a yeah. it's a charge state right it's, it's holding a state of electrical yeah. charge right yeah okay, okay. yeah and it, and it knows you know basically the 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 software the operating system knows okay that this memory is being consumed right um i mean the last you know, the furthest storage element away from the CPU is the hard drive, SSD, whatever it is now. Okay. Same problem, right? You can get into a situation where, hey, there's no more space on this SSD because you've consumed it all. You've put applications on it. You've put, you know, all of your digital photos, all the data that you want to keep. You know, it ends up out there, and you fill it up. Right. It's just, okay. it's just a collection of each. Every time you put something on memory, it's like here are the specific states I want to you of charge I want you to hold in this configuration. Right. Okay. Right. And and you know, as a as a software program, right? You have essentially kind of two choices, right? Um, I either delete memory you know i delete things that are so there what does it mean to, so like it like what's the default start, charge state of memory like zeros like just it's empty uh typically it's ones okay. okay um and and so the state then is um you know you at the end of my program at the end of my routine right 
I basically say, okay, I'm done with the memory that I've just consumed. So I allow the operating system to take it back. Okay. If I don't do that, the operating system doesn't know any better. Okay. And it just says, oh, well, this, this part of memory is now consumed. It's, it's being used. It thinks it's being used. Yeah, so some, so, so some, some, so like some languages like Python will do that for you. You'll be like, okay, well, well, and that's see, that's the rub. <laughs> you know, that's where we've gotten. We've gotten to where, you know, they used to say that about Java. Okay. Yeah. You know, Java just takes care of that for yeah. you. Garbage collection. Until it doesn't, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then all of a sudden things blow yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, right? that happens all the time. Yeah, it's for sure. Yeah. So it, it's like. And again, because I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, because I grew up with these quote unquote primitive languages, um, it was on us to, and and primitive languages and very limited memory. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like memory was was very smart. Memory was precious, right? Like you you had to really think about what the hell you're going to do here. Exactly. So when your routine was done, it was... Uh, it was incumbent upon you to make sure that the memory was free yeah, yeah, yeah. so it could be used by the next routine. Yeah. Kids um, these days without are spoiled. Without we just power. we just put stuff in memory all, anywhere we want. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And you can see what kind of problems that can arise, you know, from Yeah, so that. like I like I took I like um I took a C class this semester, but like I dropped I like um like it was a real philosophical thing for me because like it really makes you think like is this absolutely necessary like do i have to do this step like because it's so annoying to get it to do something like because like it's not like python right you have to like say this is the variable here's where i want you to put it here's what i want you to do when you're done with it and like do this thing and then you're done python is like oh it's like here put me anywhere you want call me anything you want it's all good right so right. it's like going, so I was like, man, this is super annoying, but it's also, it sort of forces you to really think about like your algorithms and like how your story and stuff, like, okay, do I want to put this? Yeah. Thing? How big do I want yeah. it? Like, how big is my variable going to be? Like, what's what do I expect it to? I, I, I mean, that's what makes it fast, right? Because you build in, you build in all that pre-knowledge, like that pre-existing knowledge about, okay, this thing you're going to get is going to be a variable of this type. It's going to be this yep. big. So you can just, when yep. you get it, don't think about it. Just run it immediately. Just do what I told you to do. Don't worry about what happens. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and you know, that again, that was a, it's a, it's a big deal when you're, when you are dealing with very limited memory, you know, it, it's like, okay, this is finite. We, we have to, um, you know, we have to kind of cherish it, you know? So it's like, yes, we know that, you know, these, and again, when I was doing more software development, it was, you know, you, you were picking, uh, you're very cautious about data types. Yeah. You know, do I need, even if I'm performing mathematical operations, right? Do I need a double when a, when a, something of length care yeah, will yeah, work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, one byte versus four. That's a big it's deal, yeah. you know. If especially if you're wasting three of the four bytes, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know, uh, um, 
So, so what do you so do with yeah, accurate? That, like, like how do you like? Let's say you want to store uh, floating point numbers, right? Yeah. I mean, doesn't that affect the accuracy? Like, how, like the number, the 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 memories, the sizes, the thing you wanna you wanna you like. How do you manage really accurate floating point numbers in a really memory limited environment? It does get tricky, yeah. right? I mean, you um, you know, we have done things where you're working with. For example, a, a single precision floating point number, which I think is four bytes, you know, on an eight-bit processor. Mm. How do you do that? <laughs> I don't know. Now, you start, now you start breaking it up into pieces, yeah. and you have to keep tabs of okay, what is it I'm dealing yeah, with? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, this this representation isn't a typical binary number. Yeah. It's another representation. Right, right, right. Right. So it gets into that mapping function. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And if you're dealing in the digital signal processing world, it gets it gets easier, but it gets harder. Yeah. So computer vision is a big you know? is a big chunk of DSPs. Like it's a lot of. DSPs. Yeah. Because, and on a lot of DSPs. Well, today they're dealing with a lot more floating point, you know, the, the, the IEEE floating point standard. But, you know, kind of back in the day, you were dealing with what they call bin point or binary point math. Right. So, you know, take your take your 8-bit number, right? 0 to 255, right? So I'm dealing with positive numbers just, yeah. just for the sake of argument. Um, and now imagine, if you will, a binary point somewhere within that that eight bits. Okay. So let's say I move the binary point over two bits from the most significant yeah. bit, right? So the, the, the largest number is three point one half plus one fourth uh, plus one eighth plus one, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now you can start doing mathematical operations on all that right, stuff. Right, right. Right. Yeah. Okay. So again, it's comes back, coming back kind of almost full circle. It's the representation. It's the mental representation that you're counting on the physical computer just to perform this mathematical operation. But when it comes back out, I'm saying, oh, this is a bin point math number where the bin point is two bits over from this. So this actually represents this number. Right, right, right. So there's right. a, there, there's the representation the, so there's the representation that you want and the representation that you have to do the math on, like it's yes. two, two, two separate things. Uh, yeah, more or less, yeah. Because again, the computer doesn't know anything about a bin. Yeah, point. it doesn't know it doesn't know anything about math. Like it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't know anything, yeah. About it, yeah. right? I mean, floating point units, floating point math units in CPUs are now better at, at you know, they'll they'll do an operation on two floating point math numbers and give you another floating point math number out. Yeah. Okay. So there was a there was a time when we were doing some some labs where I wanted students to do floating point operations, but without using floating without calling a number, you're doing it in C, right? 
add these two floating point numbers, but you can't use IEEE floating point, right? Okay. You have to be the floating point processor. Oh, right, right, right. Right? Okay. So, which is, again, to a student that's not used to that, it's kind of a mind-blowing thing. You know, it's like, whoa, you know. Yeah, like. How do I do you know so wait, wait i had a question now something just came to my mind uh, first of all how do you like uh i had, I had a question to ask but it it completely slipped, slipped my mind but it was never mind it, it, it'll come to me eventually can we pause yeah, for yeah, yeah. About two or three yeah, minutes for sure. yeah okay all right how do i do resumed okay so memory all right. Like, uh, I, I was just thinking, like, I have this, like, it's this is such a really interesting perspective for me to have, because I have sort of like this full arc of, like, exp like, like, like this knowledge, I mean, this interest slash knowledge, right? It's like, now I'm learning about AI and the human brain and the cognitive, like, very abstract cognitive stuff, but I also know a fair amount about the 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 hardware on the brain, human brain as well as like machines it's really nice because like i can sort of see mm -hmm. like how it, like how the abstraction layers stack on one one after the other after the other it's it's super mm -hmm. interesting i love i love that perspective so like i can like see all the different like different layers of what it takes to to do stuff in the world so one of the things that like you just mentioned like one of the things i tell my students is like listen you have to stop thinking about the computer like another person. Like it's really stupid. Like it has no idea what you like. You can't interpret your intentions, right? So when you when 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 some when, when your code goes wrong, the wrong the wrong question to ask is why isn't this working? Because it's doing precisely what you told it to do. Correct. Right. So <clears throat> what did you tell it to do? Like that's the that's the question, <laughs> right? Is it like the, that, that, that's a big big part of debugging like your code right um anyways okay uh this is awesome like this is like these are the kind of conversations that like that really man it makes it makes all this worth it like it, like because you know like when i'm sitting around like so this like yesterday like i spent like a, a good three hours yesterday literally just staring at the mathematical at the mathematical mathematical formulation of a loss function and i was just like stare because it's just this one line right it's just a line mm -hmm. but it's still it tells this insane story right it's like it's like here are the, the things that they put here the person that wrote it or created it here are the things that i was trying to accomplish here are the things that i care about and here are, and here is how I want this thing to take something in, adjust those things, and then send something out of it, right? Mm -hmm. and, I, and like, there's so like some some some, some like some equations uh, or some formulas are so simple are so elegant. You're like, oh, oh man, that's good. Like that's good stuff. <laughs> you know, you know, like like I, I I don't know how you how did you how on earth did you come up with this? This is preposterous it's like it's so elegant like the like for, for a simple logistic regression loss function right like mm -hmm. to use the information uh, like entropy and just like oh it's perfect right um yep. but uh, like 
also like just the simple hardware implementations like 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 you said right the cpus are just very simple like logic gates but if you do <clears throat> but if you do things in the right order at the right speed you can do insanely impressive and complicated stuff that just sort of emerge right so think about um And I think I probably mentioned this way back, way back when, when you were at Purdue. Um, but think about the fact that, you know, if one bit, yeah, just one yeah. bit, one of those ones and zeros, yeah. on one clock, is wrong. Mm. Okay, so. In the grand scheme of things, if we're just talking about data flying through the internet right now, yeah. right? What does that look like? Well, for your eye and my eye, we might not even notice yeah. it. Okay. Get a few of those, and we might see a little bit of speckling, you know, on the screen. <clears throat> okay. Do that at the right time inside the CPU. Mm -hmm. One bit, and all of a sudden your com computer completely locks up. Right, right, right. It stops. Yeah. It just stops working, right? So that's why I go back to it's a wonder that any of this stuff even. Absolutely, works. like you know, you know yeah. something that really this is so simple, but like the fact that you can restart a computer is so useful. Oh my god, right? <laughs> like because it's just, it's just, it's just electrical states right it's just on off this thing if imagine if there were like physical switches that like moved around every time you had to do something that's it well something goes wrong the that's very, it game over right the very first computer that i operated on in college was just that it was a box yeah. that had a bunch of tongue switches on it and you literally flip the tongue switches and then hit a button that was the clock click yeah. flip them again click yeah. and the flips flip are the instructions again. right the flips are the instructions yeah, yeah. Right, right yes you're giving it the instructions right, right, right. Right. you know and and it's like and then you'd see lights and things like that on the output side right, right, right. you know so it was yeah, you, you know, that was, I feel ancient now, but that's, you know, that's kind of what we were working with. And then we graduated up to, oh, we're able to actually hook up a screen and a keyboard to this box now. Right, right, right. That was like, oh my God. Right, so like, so, so in that, in that box, it's like, you have, okay, you have, you have a stream of input waiting to, like, like let's say, let's say it's like an array of input waiting, waiting for stuff right. to happen. You have okay. You have so you 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 as the person. Okay, you look at look at mm. what data is supposed to go in next. Then you adjust the flips, adjust the switches accordingly. Right. Saying on this data, I want you to perform these operations, and then give me the output. Right. And you collect the output right. out somewhere, and you do something with it. Right. And the and the assignment that we got when we first got the keyboard and the display. Mm. Okay, connected to this box was <clears throat> program this thing so in the middle of the display it would simply count 
zero, one, two, yeah. three, four, five, <laughs> seven, eight, nine. Okay. That's all it had to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the number was in the center of the screen. Yeah. You want to talk about something difficult. Jesus, that sounds odd. Because now we had to figure out where's the center of the oh, screen. Oh, man, that's crazy. Right? And then how to get something onto it. It was, it was, it was that's nuts. A, that sounds insane. It was crazy. <laughs> that sounds insane. It was right. And that's all we were trying to, to accomplish. Oh, my God. No, like, that just, that just you know? goes to show, like, like, how grateful we have to be for the fact that all the, like the work that's been done way before we got here, right? Like now you can just now now like my assignments, oh, build a neural network from scratch that can that can classify this uh, image, right? I'm like I'm yeah. like oh yeah sure that's like it's challenging, but I can do that's no that's not that's fine I can do that right, um, mm -hmm. but like that had to come from what you just said, right? Before we yes. can do that, it's like. Jesus, somehow to figure that out. That's insane. Right. right. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, but like, but, but that's so cool. It's like, okay, so we went from like, okay, so instead of, so instead of that box, box having a fixed set of, set of operations, now the box has a universal logic thingy inside and we can program the operations that you want it to do and we can give it data in any order we want and we can get it out where we want. And we can have multiple right. of those boxes running together parallelly, doing data things mm -hmm. parallelly. But it's the same box. Like fundamentally, it's the same box. It's just like it's just now it's we've scaled it up, polished it up a little bit, and it's much faster. We can do more stuff with it. Right. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah, and and yet when you think about like all the things you're doing and where things like AI and now we're having conversations about quantum computing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So what is that? First of all, just like you, like explain to me, like I'm a five-year-old, what a what a quantum computer is. Oh boy, that five-year-old. Okay, fine. Uh, like a like a semi semi-educated college college graduate. So just imagine, if you will, it. And I am not an expert, um, but the the easiest way for me to to try to explain it is. If we think about a CPU as a simple state machine using two states, yes. zero and one. Yes, okay. A quantum computer is the same thing, only the state space is, every, is zero and one and everything in between. Oh. Wait, hold on. Okay. Is, how is it like... But okay, so we so far we've been talking about digital computers, right? Discrete mm -hmm. state machines, right? Mm -hmm. So what about analog yeah. computers? Isn't that what you're just talking about? Like something? Well, it's. But I can break up an analog thing into discrete pieces, yes, right? Yes. Okay. I can think about. Right. I can think about. I can think about zero and one. But I can think about 0 0.25 yes, okay. or 0 0.5 or 0 0.75 yeah. and now start breaking that up into even more pieces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, <clears throat> okay. So now I was doing a little bit of reading about it. Um, IBM has some pretty good, you know, stuff, you know, uh, with their quantum machines and stuff. 
I mean, the cool part is that the the CPUs are about the same size, silicon-wise, right? The problem is, is that you need something about the size of a car to keep it oh, cool. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because yep. it has to be super yeah, cool, yeah, yeah. right? So, again, what can this be useful for? Well, now it's problems that are massively scaled where... Gosh, if I can look at all these different states at the same time, now it becomes much more useful. And now you can, you can, it just kind of blows your mind as far as what you could kind of think about. No, I'm not going to use a quantum computer to do my word processing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Doesn't make a lot of yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, so this notion of, again, I mean, the, the notion of supercomputing, right? It's a relatively small community of scientists, engineers, and researchers that honestly understand it, that have a, a, fair, a fairly good understanding of the types of problems that they're trying to study and address, mm -hmm. you know, with these massively parallel supercomputers. Um, quantum fits kind of into the same category. I think the promise that it has is that the machines themselves can be smaller yeah. um, and again, do more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so um, time will tell as to the ultimate utility of those machines. It's probably some generations away. I mean, some of the you know some of the things like maybe an ai might be you it might be very useful uh, you're studying cognition and things like that i mean think about um the the neural network that is the brain the human brain right and think about okay what would it take to start replicating those processes right, right. Um, quantum might fit into that quite, you know, quite nicely. I mean, it's always nice to have a new, new, new toy to play with, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> right? Like that, yeah, isn't so, that the general idea? It's like, I, oh, what could possibly go wrong? Right. <laughs> I'm right. I'm likely to go to my grave just dealing with this old binary yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 true. Yeah. That, uh, you know, but... Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of where some things are headed. And yeah, I mean, <clears throat> you know, at the beginning of all of this, IBM said we'd sell five or six um, of these things we're calling computers and they would go to government agencies and they would be used to, you yeah. know, study of things about weapons yeah, and, yeah. and that sort of yeah. stuff. Well, look what's yeah, happening. Yeah, I know, it's crazy. Yeah, they couldn't have been more wrong and um you know this whole other this whole other thing has you know sort of blossomed and you know you get commerce involved yeah and, for sure you know, who knows um so so yeah but that's you know where we're headed is you know kind of anybody's guess and and i think um yeah you know with between the things that are on this planet and the things that are away from this planet, um, 
there's yeah you know there's probably always room to grow yeah so. yeah i mean it's just you yeah know. it's just nice like 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 uh, it's it's just great to ah man like uh it's not it's nice like 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 i'm i'm hopeful um and i'm and i'm generally a pretty pessimistic pessimistic person but like i i just think it'll be you know it's 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 gonna be fun but it's also it's, not, it's probably gonna be dangerous but it's gonna be fun like it's like a fun future hopefully i don't know well but you're studying the right things to um temper the danger yeah, true and but like you know the more i learn the more i'm like how am i going to be useful like there's like how do i like it's like oh man there's just so much it will it will come to you i hope so <laughs> it will it will it will come okay. to you the, all of this is going to end up converging somewhere whether you whether you end up in in industry in the private in the in the in the private sector or you end up in the public sector you end up in the academy teaching others yeah. you know um yeah you know i in in hindsight um i'm grateful that i was in the private sector for a, a, a fair number of years before I ever got into the academy where I was trying to profess and um, impart on students. Yeah, yeah. Um, not only, well, here's what you can do, but here's what you need to be thinking about, you know, as, as well, um, you know, as you, as you go on, because um, it's great when things work, but I mean, engineers kind of by design tend to gravitate to having an ability to find the things that are wrong with something right, right? um which is it's a good characteristic you know when it's tempered with a little bit of optimism that yeah but we can help yeah yeah you yeah, know yeah. we can help you exactly all these in all different ways yeah. You know, but the, the the being a little bit of a pessimist is actually good because you're always looking for the corner cases that can cause problems or, or headaches or whatever, but temper that with, well, what's the probability of that happening? Yeah, 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 yeah. true. You know, and, and, and you know, you can, you can, and how much would we have to spend to eliminate yeah, that? Yeah. Yeah. So like, no, one yeah. thing that I really, what I'm, what I'm, what I really appreciate about like having a, having an engineering background is like, uh, so like my, 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 like when I work on, when I worked on projects on teams here and I, and when I talk to my, my colleagues, um, like they have all these, like, very idealistic sort of ideas that, that they want to implement let's say right like and, and mm -hmm. what i and what i tell them is like like there's no like 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 you should instead of thinking thinking of things as like okay this is this is good or this is bad it's more like what are the costs of this versus what are the costs of that right there are like pros right. and cons it's like it's not like it's very rare that you find something that's just oh all good 
let's go go for that or like all bad right you know that it's like okay what are the costs of this right what are the pros and what are the cons like there's hardly ever right a clear-cut like good bad in, enge- in engineering yes. at least uh, right yes when you when you develop a knack for being able to identify and articulate what the trade-offs are you know so you can you can identify yeah you know this is a you know because one of the one of the three main objectives of human communication is persuasion mm-hmm. right i'm going to use my skills at communicating and if it's hopefully hopefully it's evidence based to persuade you that my story right is something we should pursue yeah. okay great you know um <clears throat> And, but in, in being able to identify positives, potential negative, you know, positives and, and potential negatives, corner cases, whatever, um, and then kind of go down the list of, well, you know, how likely is this, you know, going to happen? We, in the automotive industry, we called it failure modes and effects yeah. analysis. I hated that task. <laughs> I hated that. I despised it, but it was always a worthwhile kind of thing because, yeah, you know, you'd find, you'd learn really quickly that well, if this one little wire came loose, this is the effect that it has on the engine controller. This is the this is the effect that it has on the engine, and wow, a lot of goofy stuff happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, so. Um, like with any human endeavor like this, um, yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it's important, um, to be able to develop that skill yeah. of, of identifying and, and articulating trade-offs in ways that the people that are trying to make the persuasion can understand yeah. and they can, they, hopefully you get to a point where they, where someone would go, gee, I hadn't considered yeah, that. Yeah. So like I uh, I come I come across situations even in myself and but like a lot of people who are who seem who feel like they are faced with an intractable problem, but what's mm-hmm. actually happening is they have represented the problem incorrectly. It's like because they're right. asking the wrong question. It's like okay, it's like if if mm-hmm. you're trying to figure out what's purely good, what's purely bad, that's gonna paralyze you. For example, let's say right, it's like. Okay, yeah. but you have to still move forward. Okay, so you have to move forward. How do you do that? Well, you maybe need a different perspective. What is the pro of this? What versus what are the cons of this? Right, like because you have to yeah. like you have to work with heuristics. Like that's one thing I learned at least for damn sure. Like it's like it's hard to have a optimal answer for a lot of things. You work with the most like you you you're motivated to move forward. So how the hell? Do you move forward if you if you if you if you if you're not willing to sort of have a more nuanced view of what needs to happen, right? right. You can't be absolutist like and be an engineer. It's kind of hard. Right, it's very difficult. <laughs> yeah, you 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 learn that um, honestly, there really isn't any black and white. It's just all gray. Yeah. And it's how, what, where, where are we? 
where are we in that spectrum? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so a lot of people have have problems sort of prioritizing prioritizing goals because they want to get the optimal they want to get the optimal solution for all their goals at the same time. I'm like, dude, that's never gonna happen. <laughs> like, you gotta pick something, go for one thing, and then like accept the cost. Like, like, like it's because uh, a lot of people because I have because I'm I'm a bit older than I'm older than most of my colleagues. They ask me like, hey man, I'm feeling yeah. a bit lost. Like, I find all these things interesting. I don't know what to do, and I'm like, look. All I can tell you is you gotta pick something and then pay the cost of being exceptional at the thing. Like it's a cost. You're gonna have to pay a cost for it, right? Like, well, like, but is it worth it? That's the question you gotta ask yourself. I ask myself. Well, yeah. right, and we don't. There's this fear of missing out, right? This fear of missing out on stuff. Right. Well, there's yeah. that, and and um, as you well know by now, right? this is a journey the the course that you decide not to take in a given semester you can always get that background later if you find yeah. out later that, gee i wish i would have taken that course but i can do yeah, it now yeah, exactly i can i or i can get the i can gain the knowledge in a different way but now i need yeah, it yeah, yeah. so go yeah, get yeah, it yeah, yeah. There's a way, like, it's like, uh, it's not linear at all. Like, you, you, you don't have to go in one straight line. You can, like, it comes back, you can curve around. It's a yes. it's ways to get there. Yes, and, and you don't, the thing of it is, is you don't know what you're going to need oh, yeah, for sure. three, four, five years yeah. from now. So you're taking a guess in terms of what sounds interesting, what you think you're passionate about right now. And three or four years later you may find yourself in a situation where part of the reason why you were hired was because of that background that, that you got back then but now i need this other yeah. thing okay go yeah. get it like like for me yeah. the most one of the most fun things is like that go get it is like it's like uh, like I like that. I like that digging. I like the hunt. Like it's it, like it keeps me occupied. Like it keeps me from thinking about yeah. like thinking about the existential stuff. It's like, okay, I have this like, okay, like I like the process of, okay, here's something. So like so for example, um, I'll I'll start to read a paper in AI, and then like I'll start to read the abstract, and I'll get to like the first two sentences, and I'm like, okay, this is hard. But now, but at least now I know. Okay, I need to I need to go learn on learn topic A, B, C, and D before I understand this paper. So I know where to go and how to get there, right? So I okay, I gotta go understand this part, this part, this part, and then I can come back up and read the paper. Okay, now it makes more sense. Like that that process that makes me really happy. Like that I really enjoy that. Like uh, if I can't do that in a semester, I get really frustrated. Like if I don't have time to like go down the rabbit hole a bit and just like see oh okay then i feel like i'm i'm stretched thin i feel like i'm like too much like too little too little butter on too much bread like i feel like so i feel it's really really stresses me out if i don't get the time to like just sit there and just stare at this thing for a little while and then go down and then feel, get to a point where i feel intimate with the thing i have to like it's a weird feeling. I feel okay. I got you now. Then I can like like take it in my arms and carry it back up, and then <laughs> and then go back, go start moving forward. 
Well, I mean, it's important um, to be able to try to digest, you know, especially some some research papers with a certain level of comfort yeah. that you can assess the overall quality because you know that researcher is going to come with come up you know there's an abstract there and if they've kind of done it right <clears throat> it tells you basically everything that they want to yeah, say yeah yeah. yeah 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 right and then in the conclusions it's doing the same yeah, thing yeah. just a little bit yeah. deeper because it's citing the stuff that's in the body of the yeah. paper right so now you're if you look, you know, abstract and then conclusions and then determine, gee, I need to get some more background so I can better process what's in the yeah, middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm getting better so at it. Then I can like make that, it. As I do it more, I'm getting yeah. much better at it. Like, so now papers yeah. take less and less time to read. It's like, oh, okay, cool. It's nice. It's right. pretty cool. Right. All right. Professor, it's been two hours. Okay. And yes, it this has. has been awesome. Uh, every time I talk to you, it's like I have a million other a million other questions that I want to ask. But this has been great. Um, I'm not going to take up any more of your time because uh, I got to go make dinner also. But this has been awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks. It's good. To see you, oh, absolutely. It's always it's always a pleasure talking to you. And thanks again for like always like it's like like replying to my emails and like taking the time. It really I really appreciate it. It, it means a lot. Oh, at any time. Your your journey has been um, has been a joy <laughs> to really follow. Thank you. You know, it really has. It really oh, has. It's been nuts. It's you been know. a it's been a straight. It's been a, it's been such a weird weird path. But like I'm I'm having like I'm I'm feeling pretty happy about myself right now. So um, good. So that's a good place. Yeah, to it's be. nice. <laughs> a good place. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know. I hope we'll see how this. Uh, we'll see, see if I can keep this keep this party going. And uh, yeah, yeah. No, it sounds like you're on a great path. It's nice. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're on a great path. Yeah. Cool. All right. I will All catch right. you again soon. Absolutely. Right. Thanks. Absolutely. Thanks. Have a great semester. Thank you. I'll, I'll let you know how the semester goes uh, when, when I'm through with it. Absolutely. All right. All yeah. Right. Perfect. Yeah. Count on Perfect. it. Perfect. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Professor. All righty. Take care. That's a wrap, folks. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. And thanks again for listening to the One Deeper podcast. I hope you always learned something. So until next time, peace.